Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. host Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Welcome back, Warrior. Today we have registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, Vinci Choi, back with us to answer a burning recovery question from our community of warriors. But before we get into this Q&A that's all about how to find your natural hunger cues, I want to take a moment to talk body. If negative body image is holding you back and fueling your eating disorder, listen up. This February here at Recovery Warriors, we are curating a small, intimate cohort of warriors for Beyond Body, which is a six-month body image accelerator program that brings together evidence-based practices for integration and an intimate group format for deep learning and healing. Beyond Body is a safe container designed for women in their mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s who want to do real, long-lasting work to improve their body image so life can be enjoyed more fully. The ripple effect is real, and with the right approach, skills, and support, body dissatisfaction doesn't have to hold you back from deeper intimacy, connection, and confidence in your relationships and career. So if you want to make this the year you do deeper body image healing work during the spring and summer, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Spots are limited and applications will be reviewed on a first-come, first-served basis. So get yours in now by requesting an invite to apply at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Now let's get into this Q&A with Vinci Choi. I'm joined by registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, Vinci Choi. She runs a nutrition practice where she works with clients to help them reclaim their food and body stories from untrue and harmful messages and supports them in reconnecting with and learning to trust their inner wisdom so they can redefine health, well-being, and nourishment on their own terms. And Vinci is back to answer a burning recovery question from our audience of warriors. Today's question comes from a member of the Courage Club, Amanda. And Amanda asks... I'm in recovery and I hear a lot of advice about eating regularly, but I'm confused on how to achieve that due to conflicting messages. I hear the advice of listening to my body and hunger cues, but I find that hard to do and worry I may go too long without eating. In contrast to that, I've also heard that you shouldn't rely on a meal plan or schedule to stay fed because recovery is about listening to your body and nothing external from that. I genuinely don't know which one is right and what is the best way to make sure I eat regularly. 
Should I be following a meal plan or a schedule or only listen to my body and my hunger cues, even if I'm not sure how? Amanda, take it away, Vinci. Well, thank you, Amanda, for this great question. And you're absolutely right that like this both like following a meal plan or schedule or like listening to your internal cues are like both things that people are advised to do. And in a way, it's because you kind of have to do both like in a stepwise way as part of recovery. So oftentimes what you'll hear a lot is like is this idea of like intuitive eating is not appropriate for people who have eating disorders or like eating disorder and eating disorder recovery because like you quote unquote can't trust your hunger cues. Um, there is a grain of truth to that, right? Like in a lot of cases, when someone is in a restrictive eating disorder, um, if they were just told, oh, just like eat when you're hungry, well, they they never feel hungry or they've convinced themselves that they never feel hungry. And so then you wouldn't end up eating at all. And so for a lot of people, when they're sort of in the early stages of recovery, I typically do recommend either a meal plan or a schedule. And typically that schedule is, I would say, like every three to four hours as like as a place to start. And I think that schedule is not just about, oh, like this is when it's time to eat. It can also be an opportunity to practice tuning into your hunger and fullness cues. So what I use a lot in my practice is like, the hunger fullness scale. And there are different versions of it. But the version that I use is that, you know, like, zero is like that you're unpleasantly hungry or like uncomfortably hungry, the hungriest that you've ever been. Whereas 10 out of 10 is that you're uncomfortably full. This is like the fullest that you've ever been. I sometimes call it holiday full or all you can eat buffet full. And where and then like the five is sort of the neutral. And so, you know, say you have your schedule or you have your meal plan before you sit down to eat is like you start, you kind of sit and ask yourself, well, where will I, would I put myself on this hunger fullness scale, like just zero to 10. And then once you kind of pick your number, sort of to decide, how do I know that I'm that number? Like, what is my body telling me to let me know that I am at that number? And start like making notes for yourself and like, writing your own hunger and fullness scale. Because I think like at those different points on the scale, people are going to feel different things. So the first thing that I get people to start with when they're doing this practice, is just like, there's no like right or wrong answer. It's just starting to suss out like, what are some of the different points on the scale for myself? And like, I mean, I think it's most common to check in with like our stomach, but also like, what, you know, thoughts are coming up or like, a lot of people notice that their mood changes when they start getting really hungry. Or I've had people tell me, oh, like I noticed myself like just like walking into the kitchen, but like not really knowing why I'm there. So those might actually be like signs of hunger as well beyond just the stomach and other like physical cues. And then you eat and then after you eat, like sort of check in like on that scale of zero to 10, like where am I on that scale? And again, like how is my body telling me that I'm on that scale? Or like what are some of my thoughts and behaviors telling me, right? Like when you're feeling full, like 
maybe like the food doesn't taste as good as it did when you first started eating, or maybe you notice yourself slowing down. And so like those might be signs of fullness as well. And then over, over time, like once you sort of do that practice of like, yes, eating according to a schedule, but checking in before and after, then you have your own kind of hunger and fullness scale. And then you'll start having this additional language to kind of describe hunger and fullness. And then from there, that's when maybe you can start experimenting. Okay, like, what is it like to start eating at like, a four versus a two versus a three versus maybe even a six or seven. And, and what's it like to stop eating at different points on the scale? I think what, I think sometimes diet culture or the diet industry has sort of co-opted hung, the hunger and fullness scale. They sort of say like, oh, you should stop at like this number or like you have to start at this number. Otherwise you're going to like eat too much or whatever. And really, there's no right or wrong answer. It's the hunger and fullness scale to me is really just about adding language to like describe how hungry or full you feel. And you always deserve to eat no matter what. So true. Thank you for that reminder. And how long should someone stay on a meal plan or a schedule? How long does that go on for when they're in recovery? I think it depends on the person. I think... For some people, like they find that eventually it gets to the point where their hunger and fullness cues, like that they are, you know, kind of eating sort of that like every three to four hours most of the time, or looks like three meals and like a certain number of snacks in a day. Other people just find that like they constantly need those reminders because like maybe they don't physically feel hungry, but they need to eat and you know, the people that I'm thinking of too, like, especially like folks who are say like neurodivergent or medications that can affect like hunger and fullness. So it really depends on the individual. And, and I think in, in some ways, our culture kind of creates a schedule for us sometimes too, right? Like if you're like at an office job or any job where there are like scheduled breaks, right? Like, you're sort of forced on a schedule and you can't really eat like just according to your hunger cues. So I don't think it's a sign of being like further along recovery to like not eat according to a schedule. I think, you know, it's going to depend on each individual what's going to work best for your needs, not just from like a physical perspective, but just from a lifestyle perspective as well. What is your take on, I'm going to kind of share maybe like a personal perspective of mine because I know other people share this. When I was starting recovery and I actually relate a lot to what Amanda wrote, I remember also being like, well, do I use a plan or do I not? What the hell is it? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. something for me when I explored meal plans was feeling restricted. Like you can only eat here, like kind of feeling Mm -hmm, boxed mm -hmm. in. And also Mm -hmm, I remember mm -hmm. like way back in the day when I was struggling with an eating disorder and I went to Jenny Craig, I'm like, I need to lose weight. they literally like give you a calendar, like here's your breakfast, here's your lunch. So it was very reminiscent of that. So what's your mm-hmm, take on mm-hmm. people like me? I know there's people like me who feel this way about meal plans. Yes. And- yeah. And like, I am actually working with someone right now who is like doing that and that like meal planning uh, can definitely be helpful in terms of like 
having food available, like when you are hungry. But yeah, because it's so tied up with like our experiences with dieting or disordered eating, it's like hard to use that like without being like, oh, like, am I slipping back into dieting or into my eating disorder again? So absolutely, like that is such a good question and so common. I always like, well, one of the things that I often say is that like, dieting or like diet culture, like doesn't own anything, right? Like diet culture doesn't own meal plans. It doesn't own salads. It doesn't own cottage cheese, like very common (laughs) diet things, but they don't really own them. And I think, and, and so one is like keeping that in mind. And then also like just thinking about like, what is your intention behind like wanting to do meal planning? So like I was just saying, for a lot of people, yeah, it's just like making sure that there is food available, like when you are hungry. So it's not like you're hungry. And then you're like, well, there's nothing to eat. And so I'm getting to the point where it's getting uncomfortable versus like a comfortable level of hunger. Um, I think for other people, meal planning helps with budgeting as well. So I think one is like thinking of, okay, like, what is your intention behind like meal planning? And, and holding on to that instead of thinking of it being about like, I'm only allowed to like eat this number of calories a day, or I'm only allowed to eat this meal at this time on Tuesday. And also it like creating room for that flexibility. So first, for some people that might look like instead of like listing out like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm eating these things. Maybe it's like, okay, well, breakfast, I tend to eat like these few things or like lunch is often like leftovers or maybe these few things. And really just maybe being like, just picking out a few recipes during the week, and then just having the ingredients ready for that. So that like on the day, then you're like, well, I have ingredients to make XYZ, I can I can choose. And so creating some flexibility around the meal planning rather than the very restrictive diet sort type of meal plan that a lot of people might be used to. Yeah, it's not set in stone. There's room for flexibility and variety, and it's not pass or fail either. Amanda brings up in her question, and you've touched on this as well, the topic of eating regularly. Can you explain why regular eating is so important when you're trying to recover from an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases, like for people who have an eating disorder, there's like a lot of restriction happening. And so this often kind of turns our hunger cues like offline. And this is sort of like an adaptation from like, I don't know if it's prehistoric times, but it's, it's thought to be like an evolutionary kind of like adaptation for when food was not abundant, right? And so like, so this, the idea was like, you know, thinking back to hunter gatherer kind of times, we didn't have access to food all the time. And so like, if you were like feeling really hungry um, while you were trying to hunt or while you were trying to gather, like you just wouldn't have the energy to like do it. And so our bodies have kind of adapted to, oh, like if I'm consistently not being fed, then I'm going to teach myself to like not feel hungry so that I have that sense of like false energy to like 
actually go out and get food. And oftentimes, like when people start eating regularly is when their hunger and fullness cues kind of come back online. And sometimes that can be very frustrating because it was like, oh, I never felt hungry before. And now I feel hungry all the time. Like, and why is that? It's partly because of that. So, and really like hunger and fullness are normal, like body signals, like being hungry means your body is telling you what it needs. Like that is a good thing. So I think part of eating regularly is one, like bringing those hunger cues like back online and like your body signaling, like what it means to signal to you. And also it's really part of like being able to meet your nutritional needs, right? It's really difficult, I think, physically and also like psychologically especially if you are coming a background of restriction to like try to meet all your nutrition needs in like one or two big meals so like eating regularly gives you more chances to get the nutrients that you need and also in a way that's like not so overwhelming as like eating like one giant meal right And what are some things like that people can look for, whether it's physical or mental that lets them know that, hey, they're hungry? What are some of these cues? I mean, I think like the most like common ones when people think of being hungry is like, you know, like the stomach feeling empty or the stomach rumbling. I've also had people say that like they almost feel it in their chest or even in their throat that they're like wanting to eat something. Another like sign of hunger is just like noticing that you're thinking about food more. Yeah. Or sometimes like your mood changes, right? Like you get hangry and maybe that's more like when you're getting like more hungry versus like the subtle signs, but those are some things that happen. And I think, you know, for some people, when you're getting to again, more like intense hunger, they might notice like signs of their blood sugar being low. So maybe their hands get shaky or clammy. Maybe they start getting a headache. And then those might be signs that like that you are actually quite hungry compared to like, say, more subtle signs around like, oh, like, I feel like I'm ready to eat or my or my stomach's kind of grumbly or I'm starting to feel kind of tired. Those are might be more subtle signs of hunger. Mm, okay. Thank you for breaking that down because I know a lot of people are relearning or learning for the first time what these hunger cues really are. Mm-hmm. And if someone is maybe deciding whether it's for now or forever that going the route of a meal plan is not for them, what would you advise them to do to continue recovering or to, to, to continue improving their relationship to food? I think it depends. Like if we use the example, say, of a meal plan being like just feeling too restrictive, like which makes absolute sense. Is there a way that perhaps like if structure is helpful for this person that we can create some structure that's like supportive, like rather than restrictive. And so maybe to start off, it's not a like meal plan that's like, oh, you must eat like this, like at this time. But maybe it's like, you know, maybe we start by like setting alarms on your phone to sort of like kind of check in every like three hours, like how are you feeling? Like, do you feel ready to eat? And like, yeah, giving the option to be like, if the answer is no, like, it's okay. If the answer is no, maybe you reset it and you check again in an hour or two. But like, I think um, kind of looking at like, 
giving room to experiment with some flexibility. And also, I think, you know, I think this is something that's for both people who are in recovery and for clinicians, like it's okay if it doesn't look perfect right away. It's okay if we like start this experiment and this person only ends up eating like once or twice a day and they're like, whoops, like that happened. You know, like maybe I do need a little more structure or like what is some way that, you know, I can, you know, yeah, make sure that I'm eating like minimum three times a day, say. And, and I think, yeah, even as clinicians, this is so hard. Like I, you know, even though I'm saying like every three to four hours, I know that there are lots of people who don't have disordered eating, but that's just how they were brought up to eat. Like culturally that they just eat like three meals a day and they're like five to six hours apart. And that's just what works for them. And so I think as clinicians too, and something that I'm working on is like, like try not to project my expectations on someone while at the same time, like how do we still make sure that they're getting enough, even though it might look very different from what I think is like, okay, or like what is quote unquote typical or normal. So yeah, I think it's, it's a dance for sure. So what advice would you give to people who are, you know, may struggle with coping with the step back, the setbacks that can happen or the trial and error or discomfort that can happen with trying to eat regularly? I think perfectionism is something that is very common in people with eating disorders. And so like, I know it's, it's easier, it's easy for me to say this and like, it's okay if things are not perfect. And I know it's, it's hard that when I think a lot of times perfectionism has given people like success in other areas of their life. And then with food, like it's sort of become this very um, harmful, like difficult thing. And, and so I think it's, yeah, like having compassion that, you know, like your eating disorder didn't happen overnight. And so recovery is not going to happen overnight either. It's okay if your eating doesn't look like quote unquote perfect. No one, like what is perfect eating anyway? And it's really, and it's, this is a journey like that comes with like learning about yourself, learning about what you need and you are doing your best. And that's, that's the most important thing. Yes. Self-compassion is like the lubricant that makes the trials and tribulations of recovery so much smoother. So thank you for sending us off with that advice. (laughs) Can you please let the listeners know how they can stay in touch with you? Sure. My website is vincichoi.com. So it's V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I.com. And I am on social media at VinciRD. I'm probably on Instagram the most, but I'm also on Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, thank you so much for being here again today and sharing your insights on Amanda's burning question. Your time is very appreciated. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Bye. 
Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior.